Hello and happy June, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and it's good to see you again. I have had a very, very crazy May and early June, but I I think all the graduations are done. The different church activities we were involved with are done. We're just kind of in cruise mode now for summer. So that means hopefully more consistent podcast episodes for you. No promises, but that's what I'm hoping to achieve. When this episode is out, it should just be about a week away from Leon Day, the day that marks six months till Christmas, and I am very excited about that. This podcast has helped me stay in the Christmas spirit all year round, and I cannot wait for what I have coming up over the next month or so. In today's episode, I'm going to have a guest reader on today, Marty, one of the co-hosts for the Lit for Christmas podcast, is going to stop by to read a story that he read on his podcast, and I absolutely loved it and uh, wanted him to read that for us as well. It's called Gloop Christmas. It's an essay that he wrote where I, I was wondering how he would tie in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Christmas, but he does it with perfection. Make sure you, you take a listen to that and check out his pot, or their podcast. He and his co-host have a wonderful new Christmas podcast called Lit for Christmas. They get together, they, they drink, and they talk about Christmas stories and poems. And it's a, it's a great podcast. I really enjoy it. I'm not a drinker myself, but I, I do love their discussion on literature. And um, they give writing challenges as well in, in the episodes. So, uh, so if you, you have an interest and passion in writing uh, or literature, um, check them out. It's a great podcast. And I'll hopefully play a promo for them in the episode before he reads. Well, here in Walnut, we are the antique capital of Iowa, and every Father's Day weekend, they have what they call their antique walk. In addition to the 18 to 20 antique stores we have in town, antique vendors from all over the country, from what I understand, descend upon our little town of 700 people and pack out Main Street. There are vendors that set up booths outside, They have antiques and and beautiful antique items. I mean, this is not just like a a junk fair. This is top quality antiques quite often. And in fact, our town has been featured in programs such as the Antique Roadshow, as well as there was another antique type show, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's a big deal. And if we didn't have antiques, I think our town would just collapse and die in on itself. It's really neat to walk around and see I, I hardly ever buy anything. I'm, I'm not an antiquer. But it's neat to see what people find valuable. We weren't able to have it in town last year because of, of COVID. They made the very difficult decision to cancel it. But this year, it's up. We're going to do it this year, or the town's going to do it this year. And I'm excited to go out and see what they have. This year especially, I'm going to be on the lookout for some Christmas antiques. I'm always on the lookout for antique books. But I, I don't really find a lot of books at this thing. So that's, that's kind of disappointing. Uh, if I find any, th- any good tr- Christmas treasures, I'll be sure to post those pictures. So keep a lookout on the social medias and I'll sh- see what we can find. All right. Well, I have some exciting news to announce. 
I want to say a big hello to our brand new listener, Autumn Sue. Listener of the show, John, who has written in before, he and his wife had a brand new baby girl. And uh, she was born on May in May. As he said in his email, only 221 days short of Christmas. Uh, but she is healthy and he thinks that she is the cutest baby that uh, he has ever seen. And as a father, I, I know we can be prejudiced, but aren't our kids just the cutest, the, the cutest babies you've ever seen? I, I always think so. So he's excited about getting to celebrate Christmas with her for the first time. And this is uh, Father's Day weekend. So, John, happy first Father's Day to you. And I hope that you will get to experience many, many joyous Christmases with your new little one. Uh, thanks for reaching out to me and just letting me know. That just cheers me up quite a bit. So thank you for that, John. And uh, best wishes to you and your wife and your new, and your new little girl. And uh, may you have many, many joyous days ahead. Then I heard from another listener last month in Gilan, which is north of Iran, and I believe it's a province of Iran. He's a Muslim, but he, he as he said, he respects the uh, Christian culture very much, and he loves Christmas. So I was really excited to hear from a listener in Iran. Uh, because I've often wondered in different countries where maybe Christianity isn't the predominant religion, do they celebrate Christmas? And if so, what does that look like? I don't know about other cultures as well as I should. And so I really, really appreciate folks reaching out like like Amir did and uh, telling me about how he celebrates Christmas, even uh, as a Muslim. I, I want to share just a little bit of what I've learned from him and from reading online about how they celebrate Christmas. It doesn't sound like it's as publicly widespread as it would be in like here in America, but uh, he says that according to his own personal traditions, he loves to watch um, the Polar Express on Christmas Day. And that's one of his favorite films, one of his favorite uh, animated films. And uh, he has hot chocolate and cookies as well. And that just sounds like a wonderful way to celebrate Christmas. I know not everyone likes the Polar Express and that the animation might look a little weird, uh, especially the people, but um, I don't know. I, I think I have nostalgia on my side for that film because I watched it first as an adult, but uh, my kids, I watched it with them for the first time with, with my kids. And, you know, my, my sons especially, they loved trains. So here's a Christmas movie about a train and it just really captured their attention and that movie really deepened my, especially my oldest son, his his certainty that Santa is real. Uh, and, and that movie really sold it for him. There, there's a lot of good memories around uh, the Polar Express. So uh, Amir, I also love that film. It's a great film. I try to watch it every year or so, uh, every, every couple of years now, as my kids are getting older. It, it's still a favorite of mine. He also decorates his house with Christmas decorations and he has a small tree in his house, and he sent me some pictures of that. You know, it's just a little small tree on a shelf, but it's it's really it's really pretty. It's and he has uh, uh, some figurines around it, so uh, that was that was really special for him to share that with me. He said that Muslims don't officially celebrate Christmas, but some people are interested in buying a Christmas tree and decorating. 
And then he sent me some links to read about just different news sites that talk about Christmas in Tehran and uh, how they celebrate Christmas in Iran. He goes on to say that Christmas is not a religious holiday for Iranians, but he says, but we believe in Jesus and the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it's forbidden to insult or joke about them. Iran is officially a Muslim country, and most people practice Islam as their main religion. However, it is worth to note that Christmassy vibes are felt in Iran as well, not only thanks to the globalization, uh, but also because of Christian people who live in this country, whose history goes back to the early years of the faith predating Islam. So, more specifically, Christmas in Iran is celebrated by the Christian community, of course, but some of the other uh, Iranian people do celebrate Christmas in their homes, um, especially the affluent and then, of course, some stores offer good discounts for Christmas, and he, he sent me some video information on that. And then for some people, he said Christmas in Iran is combined with another celebration day called Shab-e-Yalda, and this refers to the first 40 days of winter that are often the coldest and toughest to bear, falling on December 20th this year. And uh, due to the coincidence of Christmas in Yalda night, some Iranians bring a Christmas tree with its decorations uh, into their homes, and uh, all the families will gather together and they eat something called sabsi pola, polo for dinner. And again, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I'm not pronouncing these right, and I'm, I'm trying here. Sabsi polo is an Iranian dish of rice and chopped herbs, usually served with fish. In Persian, sabzi refers to herbs or vegetables, and polo is pilaf, or a style of cooked rice. And that's according to uh, Wikipedia, which goes on to say that the herbs used in sabzi polo vary, but typically include coriander, dill, chives, scallions, fenugreek, garlic, and parsley. It can be made from both fresh and dried herbs, and then they uh, eat fish with it. Uh, that really sounds good. So if, if you're a cook, you might want to try, uh, try that out and see how it tastes. They also buy pomegranates and watermelon that time of year, and they prepare special jellies and sweets. Uh, and so the color of Yalda night and Christmas night is similar because of pomegranates and watermelon. So that is why Yalda night decor is green and red. For his Christmas dinner, Amir, he says he eats, he watches, of course, the Polar Express and eats pizza, uh, then has hot chocolate and cookies while watching the movie. And uh, so then he sent some pictures of the uh, Yalda celebrations and uh, some of the treats they make and, and they're it's you know watermelon themed and I'll, i should just post some of these pictures for you uh so you can see them but it looks almost summery to me some of the treats but um it's interesting how they're able to take the red and green colors and of christmas and make it their own type of celebration so that's it's really cool and i'm so thankful amir for taking time to uh answer my questions and reach out to me and i'll try to post what I can on the in the show notes or on on my uh, Facebook page, so you folks can see uh, some of the treats that uh, they enjoy at Christmas time in Iran. So I I think it's neat. Christmas truly is a worldwide celebration, and there's something for everybody in it. Even whether you're Christian or Muslim, I would love to hear more. Like if if you're like Amir and you enjoy Christmas, even though, you know, your religion, your religious identity or your personal beliefs don't always match up with Christianity. I, I would love to hear how you celebrate. 
because I, I think Christmas can be for everyone and enjoyed by everyone. Let me know. Or if you just have interesting Christmas traditions, I, I really want to hear those. So go ahead and send that, reach out to me at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com and I will uh, feature that on an upcoming episode. I want to tell you about a contest I'll be doing now, between now and the end of July. And I want to thank my sister for supplying the prize. Here's what it is. I, I think she got really bored during quarantine and started knitting sweaters for everything. Her family, her dog, her fish, her coffee cup. Yep, that's right. Her coffee cup. She has made these things that she calls coaster cozies. And because she loves Christmas so much, she made me a couple of coaster cozies that go over your coffee cup like a sweater and they're Christmas themed. It's it's kind of a, a visual thing. I'll have to show you some pictures. Um, so check out my social medias for the pictures, but they're pretty fun um, and kind of cute. Where I sit and do a lot of my reading, I have a coffee cup full of bookmarks. And so I put one of those on my, my coffee cup and it's just kind of a neat decoration and it's something that makes me smile. And so I guess what they function as is like a coaster, but it's like your coffee cup is wearing a cozy sweater. And when I saw them, I just knew that they were on brand with what I'm trying to do here on my podcast and, and celebrate the cozy side of Christmas. So if this is something you'd like, if this is something you would like to own, I have several ways you can enter this contest between now and the end of July. I have several and we'll be doing those again later this year when we have more listeners. But for you hardy few who stick with me through the year, this is your chance to get a sneak peek at this prize and uh, a chance to win it before this coming uh, December. There are four ways you can enter this contest. First of all, you can send me an email with a Christmas memory or a Christmas story a um, an essay you wrote and if you wanted to record that that would be awesome but if you wanted me to just read it you could just send me an email so if you have some kind of creative christmas thing that you want to share on my podcast whether it's a, a true story whether it's a little short story you made uh, send that my way and we'll have have it on an episode and i will uh, and if you do that you'll be entered into the contest also, if you make a donation to the podcast on Kofi.com, it's a usually a three dollar donation, and I will give you three entries into uh, the contest with that. Then you can uh, like and share the uh, Facebook page that we're on, or I, I'm on Twitter or Instagram. You know, some way to share that. Tell them about the contest, the podcast. Like it and subscribe and share on the Facebook page, on one of my social media accounts, and uh, I'll get you entered in that way. Or you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts for me because that really helps out the show. Uh, it's a free way to do it. Uh, I'll get you entered. Now, if you've done any of these things in the past, let me know and I'll count that. So potentially you have a chance to get six entries into this contest to win a coaster cozy. And, you know, who wouldn't want one of those? Um, you could turn your boring old summer cup into a festive Christmas mug any time of the year. And if your spouse is like mine and, 
and they hide your Christmas coffee cups until November or December, then this is a way to get around that. And I, 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 I would recommend, uh, and I, I think they're fun. So I, I hopefully uh, we'll we'll get lots of entries here. And so if, you, if that's something you want to you want to do, this will help out my, help out getting the word out about our show, and as well as bring you some uh, festive Christmas cheer. What do two poets who are Christmas geeks do when they get together? They get drunk and argue about Yuletide lit. It's time to get lit for Christmas. Join us as we open the liquor cabinet, grab a book off the shelf, and have a little boozy conversation about what warms our chestnuts and makes us holly and jolly. Find out the best screwdriver to scrooge with. Get the recipe for Gift of the Magi Mojitos. Enjoy a little Peppermint Patty Polar Express. Everyone's welcome at this party. It's time to do some Jingle Bell Jello shots and talk about the great, and maybe not so great, works of Christmas literature. Hurry up! The fireplace is roaring and Bing Crosby's crooning. We're two drinks in and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future are flowing. Grab a cup of cheer and find a place on the couch. It is time to get lit for Christmas. For our story today, I'm going to have a guest reader on. His name is Marty, and he's from the wonderful Lit for Christmas podcast. When I heard his uh, story, I just thought this would fit really well with our show, and I think you'll enjoy it if you haven't heard it already. Um, so check them out, and I'm hoping to have them on an upcoming episode here. Um, I got to get some things scheduled, but we're going to talk Christmas poetry in an upcoming episode. Uh, but for now, enjoy Marty's story, Gloop Christmas. Gloop Christmas. I never liked Charlie Bucket when I was a kid. He was too skinny, too desperate. The illustrations of him and Charlie in the chocolate factory were in black and white and reminded me of the Great Depression stories my dad used to share at the dinner table. My siblings and I would be turning up our noses at some dish my mother had prepared, usually involving liver or cabbage, and my father would launch into some tale of poverty, saying, when I was a kid. And I would picture him as Charlie Bucket on a street corner, begging for a nickel to purchase a magical chocolate bar wrapped in gold foil. As my father spoke, guilt settled on me like a hard snow. It almost made me want to consume the sauerkraut or haggis on my dinner plate. Almost. Thankfully, I never had to experience the kind of deprivation my father or Charlie Bucket had to endure. My idea of deprivation was having to eat Rice Krispies instead of Lucky Charms for breakfast. When I read Road Dahl's book, 
I identified much more closely with another golden ticket winner, Augustus Gloop. Gloop was the ultimate candy hedonist, eating anything and everything that contained or was coated in chocolate. The illustrations of Augustus were a little off-putting. He resembled Jabba the Hutt Jr., no neck, folds of skin rippling off him like tsunamis after an earthquake. However, I knew that if I were let loose in the chocolate room of Willy Wonka's factory, I would be on my hands and knees at the river, right next to Augustus, lapping up the liquid chocolate like a thirsty bison. Writer Steve Almond coined a term for people like Augustus Gloop and me. We are candy freaks. As kids, candy freaks categorize and hoard candy. For example, at Halloween time, I had several tears for my confectionery booty, much like writer Almond. In the top tier were all chocolate products, Milky Way and Twix and Hershey and M&Ms. In the next tier fell chocolate products that tried to sneak in healthy ingredients. Things like chunky bars with their raisins and Snickers with their peanuts. Anything chocolate that left an aftertaste not derived from the cocoa bean ended up in this category. Tier 3 consisted of gummy and taffy products, juju fruits and Swedish fish, and gummy bears and Laffy Taffy. This ilk of candy stuck to my teeth and wreaked havoc with dental work. The bottom tier was filled with the most loathsome treats, Smarties or Jawbreakers or Lemonheads, hard candies requiring patience and persistence and a great deal of mouth work. I have always been a chewer, not a sucker. Steve Almond identifies Halloween as the high holy day of the candy freak year. I disagree with him. While I'm not against the spoils of All Hallows' Eve, there's a certain aspect of quality control that has always bothered my gloop nature. People are not picky about trick-or-treat candy. Over the years, the chocolate bars have gotten smaller and the sweet tarts more prolific. By the second week of November, Halloween candy stashes start emitting a sugary vapor that almost makes me want to throw out the remaining Tootsie Rolls and Jolly Ranchers. Almost. With all due respect to Mr. Almond, I would like to make a case for Christmas as the pinnacle of the candy freak gloop holidays. While an argument could be made for Easter with its chocolate bunnies and Cadbury cream eggs, I can't go along with this line of thought for one simple reason. Peeps. Any holiday that has as its centerpiece a sugar-coated marshmallow that tastes like paint thinner should be automatically disqualified from consideration. 
Valentine's Day is ineligible because it is the equivalent of a middle school dance. The popular kids are out on the gym floor, swaying to a journey song and exchanging cardboard hearts stuffed with chocolate creams, while the wallflowers are left in the bleachers, drooling and hungry and unsatisfied. Thus, by default, Christmas wins. At the beginning of Frosty the Snowman, Jimmy Durante explains the difference between a regular first snow and a Christmas first snow. There's something special, even magical, about Christmas snow, Durante explains. The same can be said about Christmas sweets. They hold a certain power that Halloween or Easter sweets do not. When a plate of homemade Christmas cookies is placed in front of me, I find myself impelled to try confections I wouldn't give a second look any other time of year. I have even been known to nibble on snowballs, which are cookies rolled in powdered sugar and coconut. Steve Almond correctly describes the experience of eating coconut as akin to chewing on sweetened cuticles. Coconut should be banished from all chocolate and baked goods. Mr. Almond and I agree on this point. During the Yuletide season, however, even my aversion to this ingredient takes a holiday. Everything tastes good at Christmas. And everybody has a signature Christmas creation. My grandma Hanley had a chocolate chip cookie recipe she took to her grave. My sister Sally makes Pazelli's, an Italian waffle cookie that is so delicate and light I can eat two dozen of them in one sitting and still have room for a ham sandwich and a mug of hot cocoa. One of the reasons I married my wife was her Christmas buckeye. I'm not generally a huge fan of peanut butter, but my wife's buckeyes are the gloop equivalent of crystal meth. I have been known to sneak out of bed in the middle of the night to get my buckeye fix. I even get a little panicky when my daughter puts a buckeye with Santa's plate of cookies on Christmas Eve. I've lied to her, saying, Santa has a severe nut allergy, sweetheart. We don't want the big guy going into anaphylactic shock in the middle of our living room. My specialty is brickle. It's a candy of my own creation. Part milk chocolate almond bark, part planters dry roasted peanuts, part heath toffee, part crispy rice, it has been known to cause riots at family gatherings. I have been asked for my recipe on more than one occasion. However, the recipe seeker stares at me like I'm a member of the Manson family when I describe my brickle-making process. The almond bark and paraffin should pour like brown silk, I say, and when you mix it with the other ingredients, it should sound like wet cement. I can't provide exact measurements. I work by instinct. 
The way Grandma Moses worked in oils, or my best friend in college worked in marijuana. It's all about brush strokes or soil humidity. No one has been able to duplicate my brickle, despite my attempts to pass on my secrets to several apprentice Oompa Loompas. Of course, Gloop Christmas is not limited to homemade creations. There are several products that start appearing soon after Halloween that, for me, mark the official beginning of the holidays. Eggnog, thick and yellow and sweet. White fudge Oreos, which compete with my wife's Buckeyes for supremacy in my heart. And my latest discovery, extra creamy Hershey chocolate bells. Generally, regular Hershey's chocolate ranks as the Thunderbird or Boone's Farm of my candy freak addictions. It's good for a cheap, quick thrill. Hershey Christmas bells, however, come from a whole different chocolate wine cellar. Smooth and a little nutty, they have the staying power of a Godiva truffle or Ghirardelli dark square and they taste even better chilled or frozen. Put them on top of peanut butter blossoms, and I'd sneak away to a cheap motel with them for a weekend. There is one Christmas candy product that I have been dreaming about my entire adult life. At Easter time, the shelves at Walmart and Target are lined with hollow chocolate rabbits. From the cheap Palmer variety to the more upscale Russell Stover kind, these bunnies all provide a singular thrill. Whether I start with the ears or tail or feet, I know what will happen with my first bite. The chocolate lepus will crumble between my lips, and I will taste the air trapped inside. As a child, I always thought that air tasted like Lent, full of sin and guilt and the promise of redemption. The Christmas equivalent of this Easter staple would be a chocolate manger scene. It doesn't exist, although it seems like a no-brainer to me. Chocolate shepherds and sheep, cows and camels, angels and magi, I imagine picking up a chocolate donkey and biting into it, the air inside tasting of desert and rock and thirst, or sinking my teeth into Joseph's head and finding fear and courage and strength, or wrapping my lips around Mary's hands and feeling the chocolate give way to surrender and faith. And the golden ticket of Christmas, a chocolate baby Jesus, small and fragile. I would place that tiny manger on my tongue, letting it slowly melt, flooding my mouth with hope, expectation, joy, and love for a world without great depressions and hunger and want an Augustus Gloop world, a world filled with 
Buckeyes, and Hershey Bells, and Christmas Brickle. Wasn't that a funny, wonderful, and charming, delightful story? I'm, I'm maybe, oh, <laughs> I'm running out of adjectives here. It was that was a great, great story. Thank you, Marty. That'll do it for today. Um, so stay tuned. We've got a lot of fun coming up. Some great episodes coming for July. I'm going to be talking about um, some of the new Christmas in July movies coming out with Hallmark and different places like that. I'm going to have uh, Rachel McMillan back on, and we're going to catch up on what's new with Hallmark movies this year. I'm really excited because I'm going to have on later in July, Cena Skates, who's a playwright from the Birmingham Children's Theater. Uh, and uh, she and I are going to sit down and talk about Christmas magic and how to keep the magic alive 365 days a year. Um, we're planning that episode right now. Um, I'm going to have, uh, of course, the usual cozy stories of Christmas, so you won't want to miss this. And I might have another surprise or two along the way, um, so stay tuned. Hey, if you want to follow a story, a Christmas story throughout the year, Anthony Caruso, who's one of the hosts at Tis the Podcast, it has written a Christmas novel, and he's been delivering it in installments, chapter by chapter, um, throughout the year. And so I'd say we're about a third, maybe actually close to halfway through now. It will lead up right until Christmas. And so he's gotten a lot of us Christmas podcasters together to read chapters from that story. And I'm really excited because I have a chapter coming up in, I think it's going to drop around September. So I'll make sure to talk more about that when that happens. And uh, I've been working to get him on the show to talk about uh, his book. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll do that here in the hopefully in, in the next month or two. It's called Another Christmas Story, and if you subscribe to the Tis the Podcast podcast, uh, then that will be automatically delivered uh, to you. So probably a lot of you already are listening to that, but I just want to give it a shout out. It's it's a real fun story, and I'm excited to be able to have a part in it and help him promote it. He's a good guy and uh, very creative, very talented. So I, I, I can't wait to see what happens with this story. But check out their website for more information on that. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm about to head out into the, uh, into the antique walk to see what kind of Christmas treasures I can find. So I'll keep you posted on that. So be kind to each other and do good. And remember that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very merry Christmas.